Have you missed everything? What I said up to that point was really good. And so if you missed it, you, you know, you just missed out. Uh, you have to go online and download it. There we go. Uh, so yeah, Wes told me that you're in the book of Ecclesiastes. And like I said, um, my first reaction is, yeah, why? Because this book, as you know, as you've learned over these last number, number of Sundays, I am sure is a book that just kicks you in the gut, right? It, it is a book that holds back no punches. Um, we went back uh, through it, or we went through it back in 2009, and I just remember week after week after week being encountered with these topics, these topics that were so front and center, so raw and real, that Solomon, the author, was bringing before before us by way of, of this book, and a book that calls us to consider the deeper things of life. Uh, like I said, a book that just holds nothing back. Uh, any book that has the, has the um, aspect of it or the teaching in it that says going to a funeral is better than going to a birthday, you know it's one of these books, again, that doesn't mess around. And that is certainly true of today's text. We're looking at verses 16 to chapter 4, verse 3. So 3, 16 to 4, 3. With that in mind, let me pray, and then we'll start walking through these verses together. Uh, Father... Again, we thank you for this time. I, I thank you for the great ministry that has gone on already by way of worship and by way of prayer. And I, I pray, I pray by your spirit that it would continue by way of the proclamation of your word. I take this kindling that has been my preparation for this time and set it ablaze. Set it ablaze so that a great ministry would, would take, uh, take, um, just be a part, would, would take on uh, things in our lives that need to um, in these moments ahead. I pray that we would be responsive to the things that you're calling us to and from, and that you would be glorified in the midst of it. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what I'm going to do today, I'm not going to read the whole text on the front end. I'm going to walk through it with you bit by bit. It, it is one that comes out swinging. If you look at verse 16, Solomon writes there, And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. And so what Solomon is doing in his ongoing retrospective of the world is he's now letting us know that what he sees next is that where justice and righteousness should be, wickedness exists exists instead. That's, that's verse 16. That's the picture that verse 16 is giving. It's, it's sort of painting a picture of a courtroom of sorts. Uh, Solomon refers to it as a place of judgment, and therefore a place where fairness and equity should prevail, in other words, in Solomon's vexation, his frustration, it does not. This is this should be happening here. This should be a place of justice, but it's not. It's a place of wickedness. And he, he shares this dilemma with us, but it's not a dilemma that we don't understand. It's one that is true of our time today, at least in part. And we share the presumed frustration that I'm sh- sure Solomon had with it. I mean, when we hear today someone getting off scot-free from something or simply having their hands slapped, instead of deserving so much more or in light of deserving so much more, it leads to levels of irritation with us. Where, where is the justice in that, we cry out. Right? Why did they, why did they rule that way? We, we especially reach those places when we see someone of power take advantage of one much weaker than way. Uh, than, than they. We, we hate it, and we should. We, we count on the courts. 
We, we count on the legal system. We, we count on the guardians of the law to rule fairly. In, in simple terms, we don't like wickedness when justice should reign instead. I think that's true for all of us. It's, it's, it's hardwired into us. There, there's a reason why we have those reactions. But it's at this point in the text, just coming out of this one verse, realizing that and being on the same page with it, where I'd like to jump off with you and take things to the next level. For there is a judge, the judge, God himself who sees all and yet still allows injustice and wickedness to run rampant. Verse 16 reminds us of an age-old quandary. Really the summit point of frustration for many, that being if God exists, why then do bad things happen? Again, it's the age-old question. God sees, I think we all believe that, and therefore God knows and he knows all. I think, I think, I think most of us believe that. And God's just. At least the Bible says he is. And yet, wickedness is still here. In this, his courtroom, the world around us, wickedness is still here. Injustice is still here. And some of the wickedness beyond belief. This past Valentine's Day, as we know, 19-year-old Nicholas Cruz walked into a Florida school and he gunned down 17 students. And God took it all in. He saw all of it. He saw, he saw Cruz buy his guns. He saw Cruz get into his Uber and go to the school, uh, take out his satchel with the guns in it, walk into the school, start firing and killing 17 students. God saw it all, and seemingly God did nothing. He just watched it. 17 families never to be the same again. Think about that. I mean, if on your way home today from from church, you went down to, say, 16th and Dunbar and stopped there at the light and you saw an old lady on the sidewalk getting mugged, getting beaten. And Would you do nothing? Would you just take it all in? Well, I hope you wouldn't. I hope you park your car, get out, and come to the rescue of, of that woman. I mean, if you did nothing and someone watched, you just sit idly by and had video of you doing nothing, they'd probably YouTube it. And, 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 and people around the world would, would ridicule you for doing nothing. And rightly so. So why then did God do nothing on February 14th? And so many other times besides. God's existence, when coupled with injustice's presence, when married to those who are called to rule on things rightly, yet do the opposite, And the frustration and the anger it brings is the foundation of our text. Why does wickedness exist where justice and righteousness should instead? And how should we deal with it? How should we respond? Because it is a fight, isn't it? I mean, I heard some of the prayer requests. You've gone through some fights. And you're fighting still. It's a fight to keep going and and not give up. I, again, I would guess that some of you are fighting it right now, or at the very least, you know someone who is. So there's the question, how do we? How do we fight it? In light of this, and the questions, and, and it, it seeming to get worse, 
How do we keep on fighting when we want to just pack up, tap out, and go away? That's the question I want to wrestle with with the minutes that I have with you left. I want to answer that question. How do we fight? How do we fight in the light of the reality that Solomon brings up thousands of years ago, but is still true for us today? How do we fight? Well, if you're taking notes, it begins this fight by fighting honestly. We fight by fighting honestly. And what I mean by that is that we need to be honest about the feelings that come up inside and out of us, the frustration that we have, the, the, the things that we're going through, the things that we're feeling and sensing and wrestling with. Not, not that you need it, but can I give you permission to lament in the shadow of injustice and wickedness and ask questions like how and why? Can I remind you that the Bible gives you permission to? There is a book in the Bible inspired by the Holy Spirit called Lamentations. A book of lamenting. God wrote it. He gave it to us. There are psalms of lament inspired by the same Holy Spirit. Just, just listen to one of those psalms in Psalm 13. It reads like this. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord, my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. That's just one example. Lamenting is not only a good thing. Can I also let you know and remind you that it's a divine thing? My God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me, our Savior cried? I realize that in this pocket of the world, this little bubble that's called the west side of Vancouver, Dunbar specifically, it's easy to forget that things are not as they should be. But they aren't. Paul writes that on this side of heaven, we will groan. We will groan. That there is a place better than this. Far better than this, in fact. Even while living here in this panacea, it only takes a bad medical report or a a betrayal of some kind or a, a wayward child to remind us of this reality. And when we are reminded, we we should get angry at times. Or at the very least, we should mourn and weep. As you saw back in chapter 3, same chapter that we're in right now, verse 4, there is a time to weep. There's a right time to mourn. There is an appropriate time for indignation. Jesus himself got indignant. If you were absent of it, I'd I'd wonder about you. We, We follow one, one whose name we take that was acquainted with grief. We sing a song called Man of Sorrows. It is great. But that's our Jesus. So, so the fight has to begin here. It has to be an honest fight. We have to fight honestly. 
Meaning we have to share those things that we're going through. We must, for we won't find a place of peace unless we begin the journey honestly. But here, here's the thing that we also need to know. We can't stay there. We, we must move on, which is what Solomon does next when calling us in verse 17 to fight by holding on to hope. So we begin honestly, this is my struggle, but we move from there to fighting by holding on to hope. Look at verse 17. Solomon writes, I thought in my heart... God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time for every deed. Now, the hope I speak of is what we see here in verse 17, and that is the hope placed on a future reality where God, because he does see and because he is just, will one day act rightly and bring reward and judgment when he does. We, we need to hold on to that hope, that belief, that, that, that promise. Jesus affirms this in places like Matthew 16 when promising that the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels. And then, and then, He will reward each person according to what they have done. Paul speaks of this as well in 2 Corinthians 5, writing that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. In other words, what we get here in just two texts, just two examples from many others, is that God sees all acts of injustice. And he hears all cries of indignation and will respond to them all. But not just acts of injustice out there, but in us too. This is why Paul also writes in Colossians 3 that we should put to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And then he says this, for because of these, the wrath of God is coming. So God sees, God is just, God will act, God will bring judgment. But not only that, he brings reward. He he sees all, which means he sees the good in our lives as well. It's important to understand this in, in this discussion of God's seeing, is that God also sees the good that for now goes unseen by others and unrewarded too. Like, what a great promise. He sees the good you do, even though nobody else does, even though it goes on and on and on. Unrewarded. This is the impetus behind Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 6 specifically, when he's talking about fasting, giving, and praying. And he says, this should be your motivation. Do this not before men to be seen by them, but by your Father who sees in secret, and he sees it. He sees it all. And he will reward it all. He will reward it now. He will give you more of the Spirit, the satisfaction of the Spirit, but one day is coming when... He will reward you in full. That's that's the motivation. But here's the thing. We can amen it. And I love the amen. We can amen it. But is it good enough for you? It's, it's It's a big, important question. Is it good enough for you that that there will be things in your life, good things, right things, faithful things, 
that God only sees? Is that enough of a reward for you? What if it's the only reward you receive? His. Is that good enough for you? In this this social media age in which we live, where everything we say, everything we do, everything we eat, every place we vacation is uploaded for the world to see, is it satisfactory for you to live in secret? Are you okay not being compensated fairly on a horizontal level at least? Knowing that you are on a vertical one? Is it good enough? How do you, how do you react? You probably react, perhaps, perhaps I'm way worse than you, but I know my reaction. If I do good and I, I get no props anywhere, I have a tendency to remind people. You know what I mean? Right? So, so when I ask the question, I'm kind of like, well, I, I hope so, but my actions would demonstrate something quite different. We fight this, I know, for we want to be recognized. But what Jesus says, and hear me, you are. You are recognized. He he sees it all. And Solomon reminds us of this in verse, verse 17. But attached to this, attached to this whole discussion that comes out of these two verses is the million-dollar question, and that is, why doesn't God act now? Why doesn't God act now? Why? Especially as it relates to the wickedness and the injustice around us. Well, much, much ink has been spilled in response to this question. But for the sake of time, let's just stay here, and I want you to notice what Solomon, how Solomon responds to this, the answer that he gives in verse 18, for with it what we see is a third call, third aspect of this fight, For we see in verse 18 that we fight by seeing injustice's purpose. Look at verse 18. This is why I say that. Solomon writes there, I also thought, as for men, you can include women in here, certainly, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Awesome. Thanks, Solomon, right? Thank you, you, brother. Appreciate that encouragement. But, there, but this, is Solomon's, this is Solomon's answer to why God doesn't act now. There, there, again, not the only answer. I know there are many, many answers to this, but this is one of them. God uses current injustice by way of us and others to bear witness of who we are when we are left to our own devices. That's the role it plays, at least in part. When left to ourselves, what verse 18 tells us is that we are no better than any other animal. There is a purpose behind the madness, in other words. There is a justice for the injustice. There is a reason for its existence. The allowance of evil and unrighteousness by an all-powerful God is used to show us the depth of our deprivation deprivation or corruption. That's what it serves to do. It shows to serve us the depth of evil that we're capable of. It reveals our heart and what flows out of our heart in word and deed. That's what it does. And therefore, God, God delays his response to it 
And please hear me on this. I don't know all of you. In fact, I know very few of you, but I want you to hear this. It delays his response. God delays his response, excuse me, because it's to serve to propel us towards something. Or at least it should. It should springboard us to something. Especially when we see it in in our own lives. Now, I'll get to what that something is in a moment, but... Before talking about what that something is, there, there is a common pushback at this stage in the discussion. Very common in this city that we live in, this city that we love, but we are troubled by. And that comment is, we're not all that bad, are we? Most in this city don't think so. Most would actually, actually say the opposite, in fact. And from a life viewed under the sun as Solomon is viewing it, I, I would agree with him. We, we do much good, and I, I'm glad we do. I, I, I'm, I'd rather live next to neighbors who do good, right? Who live wisely and not foolishly. Solomon agrees with that. If you have to choose between doing good and bad, between folly and wisdom, choose the former. That's, that's Solomon. Choose wise. Choose good. Do that which is wise and good and hang out with those who do the same. If you look back at verse 13 in chapter 2, that's what Solomon says there. I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. But there's more. For in saying that, we make a huge mistake if we ignore the evil we're capable of too. And again, I'm not just talking about the evil that's over there. I'm not talking about evil big picture. I'm talking about what we're capable of. I'm I'm talking about the abuse. I'm talking about the vitriol. I'm I'm talking about the self-service that comes by way of you and me. I mean, when we cry over acts of injustice, are we blameless of ever acting unjustly towards another? When we cry out for fairness, like we use these types, we want fairness, we want graciousness, we want honesty. Have we ever failed to do the same? Even to those closest to us? Like not just simply being unfair and ungracious with someone that's sort of out there, but I mean to those that we share the same bed with, who share our name. Have we ever been unfair ungracious, dishonest with them. And so I know that so many do so much good. In fact, we shouldn't be surprised when we do. We are are created in the image of one who is the ultimate good. So, So don't be surprised at that. But we shouldn't disregard the bad we do either. For it reveals something that needs to be, hear me, it needs to be remedied. It it needs to be taken care of. As, as one writes, the good demonstrates our image of God and the bad demonstrates our need for God. I don't think I need to remind you that the bad in our world doesn't come out of a vacuum. It, it comes out of us. And that us needs help. Peter, we love Peter. Peter weighs in on this. He helps us in answering the question of why, why does God delay? Listen to his answer in 2 Peter 3.9. 
says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. And then he adds this, not wanting anyone to perish. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance, which leads us to that something that I said I was going to come back to, that I inferred to earlier. What, what, what is that something that, that our evil should propel us towards? Well, that something isn't a something, it's a someone. It's Jesus himself. Our wickedness should propel us to Jesus. The, the presence of wickedness and injustice should propel us to Jesus himself for whoever comes to faith and belief in Jesus, repenting of their wickedness and injustice, won't perish. God doesn't want us to perish. So how don't we? We come to Jesus. For whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish, but have eternal life. So God waits, and he waits, and he waits. But a time is coming where his waiting waiting will end. As well, a time comes for all of us where our opportunities end. We just heard about one who died at 4 a.m. this morning. I don't know his story, obviously but we don't know what tomorrow will bring. So God is patient, but we know that opportunity stop. I don't say that to scare you, but I do say that to perhaps cause you to wake up. Perhaps. Could I be so bold? I'm only here for one week, so I can be really bold because you know I'm, I'm not coming back maybe. I hope so. I hope Wes has me back, but I can say a lot of things because... Because I got a gig somewhere else. So, um, but I want to be bold, but I want to be bold in love and gentleness too. Because that's this text. It, it, it should propel us to something. So that's why he waits. So what have we seen thus far in this fight to not give up? Well, we fight by being honest. That's where it begins. We, we fight by hanging on to hope, knowing that God sees. And we fight by seeing the purpose behind it, the role that the injustice around us serves. And next, number four out of five, we fight by not giving in and giving up. Now, that seems redundant because my whole gist of this message is how do we not you know, give up? But let me explain what I mean by looking at verses 19 to 22 with you. I'll read it. Beginning there, man's fate, verse 19, is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the animal. Wouldn't you love to just take a road trip with Solomon? Just a fun guy to hang out with for 20 hours. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust and to dust all return. Who knows if the spirit of man rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work because that is his lot. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? This is, this is the fight and the battle of despondency and fatalism and, and resignation. But here's the thing. I'm with Solomon here. If. If, in fact, this is all there is. I'm with him. 
How could you not be? I mean, if this is all there is, then yes, men, women, let's get good jobs that pay big bucks, right? Just make as much cash, eat and drink to our heart's content, because at the end of the day, we're just going back in the ground anyway. So I, so I agree, I agree with Solomon. But, but here's my guess, since you're here on a Sunday morning in a church building, you don't believe that. Most of you actually believe, as you look back at verse 21, that you can know that the Spirit rises. And as you looked at verse 22, that there has been someone who has come to tell us what happens next. I mean, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 that because Christ has been raised from the dead, so too will those who are in Christ. His resurrection, our resurrection. So we know the Spirit rises because of Jesus. And so we can know, and therefore we can also be assured of what happens next. We can. There's a certainty built on what Jesus spoke of in places like John 14, where he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I will come back, and I will take you to be with me where I am. And therefore, one more time, we can know. We know. John's first epistle... First, John, there's this repetition of you, you know, you know, you know, or you can know, you can know, you can know, or this I give to you so you shall know. There's a certainty of knowing. John wants us not to be unsure. He doesn't want us to be agnostic regarding what comes next. That's why he says in places like chapter 5 in 1 John, verse 13, I write these things, he says, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So I would think that most of us in this room don't agree with Solomon. We don't agree at all because we don't believe that this is all there is. We, we believe we, we have certainty. We have eternal hope because of what Jesus has done. But here's what I also realize. And this go back, goes back to my first point where we need to be honest. Because I see this in myself and others. We still fight despondency and lean towards giving up at times, at least, in spite of knowing. Is that not true? You ever, you ever feel, you ever feel like that? Like, what's the point? Like, why carry on? What's it matter in the end? I mean, I'm a small dot in this large picture that God, that God is drawing. I'm just, I am insignificant. We can become overwhelmed at times. We can become burdened. We can become broken. We become taxed in spite of knowing the truth. I think that's why it's called a fight for faith. Doesn't it feel like that at times that you're just, I mean, that's all, you're just fighting for this. It's why the the declaration of the Father in Mark 9 resonates with us so much. Jesus, I believe, but you got to help me with my unbelief. Do you ever feel like the truths of God are true for everybody else except for you? Like if somebody said, do you believe God loves everybody? Yeah. Do you ever doubt if he loves you? 
God cares already. Yup. You ever doubted that he cared for you? That's probably my biggest battle in my life. I, I will stand before people and declare the truths of God and I will doubt whether they're true for me. I'm teaching through Genesis 1 to 3 right now, or we are at West Side, a series we've called Eden. We're just spending time in the garden. Uh, last week, we were looking at the creation of man and woman. That man was created from the dust of the ground, Genesis 2 tells us. We see a reminder of that here in verse 20. From dust, back to dust. I want to encourage you this morning. And how I want to encourage you this morning is by sharing that God never forgets that we're made from dust, even though we sometimes do. We should praise God that he never forgets. See, here's the problem with us. We sometimes think that we're formed out of granite. You know what I mean? Like precious jewels. Right? Fortified, strong, men and women of stone. Right? Just do anything. But God never forgets that we're made of dirt. Listen to the psalmist. The psalmist writes, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. And, and, and that's a good thing. And, and here's my point in all of this. We need to remember too. Because forgetting leads to all sorts of problems. Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. But so often we become weary and feel like giving up because we believe that all of it rests on us. Like all of it. And we get weary and we want to give up because we believe whatever that it is, our families, our kids, our ministries, our jobs, everything rests on us and we become overwhelmed. And so Jesus says, come to me. I know how you're made. I know how you're made. We become weary because so often we forget who we are. Paul doesn't use the analogy of dust, but he comes close when he speaks of being a jar of clay. Same idea, though. We're not made of granite and gold, but clay. We are cracked pots, as somebody, as somebody coined a few years back. In the intro to 2 Corinthians, the letter where Paul speaks of this, he writes of going through a time where, and I quote him, he was burdened beyond the ability to endure. God will give you more, that you can bear, more than you can bear, by the way. It's a promise. Paul goes on to say that he even despaired of life itself. But then he adds this. And here's the reason why God will give us more than we, that we can handle. More than we can handle. He adds this. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves. But on God who raises the dead. That is to be our end too. To not rely on ourselves but on the God who is able to raise the dead. God, God doesn't call people of dust to do what only the rock can. So we need to remember, we need not to give up, right? We need not to give up. We need not, not to give ourselves to fatalism, despondency, 
Fight the fight of faith, but it comes not in trying to buck up and work harder, but, but, but run into the one who calls us. I can't do it. I can't do it. Help my unbelief. My soul is tired. I'm overwhelmed. So we fight that way. And lastly, we fight by fulfilling the role that we have. This is verses 1 to 3 of chapter 4. Again, I looked and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declare that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. My time is done, but just really quickly, a couple of things that are interesting about how this text ends, at least how we're ending it today. Although it is very melancholic, right? It again is very melancholic. But even though it is very melancholic, it's, it's, packed, it's packed full of truth. Although Solomon didn't see it like we're able to see the truth on this side of the cross, it is still packed in truth. Verse 2 is true. Verse 2 is true for those who are in Christ. Paul writes in Philippians 1, I, in, I referred to it earlier on, that he, he had a desire to depart with and be with Christ for that is better by far. So if you know Christ, it's better to be dead. Verse 2 is true. It's better by far. And verse 3 is also true for those not in Christ. It's, it's true for those not in Christ. And so I call you to Jesus today. If you don't know Jesus, it would be better off that you were never being, being born. So I call you to Jesus today because verse 3 is true. But there is one other thing in this that I take out of verse 1 and how I'd like to close, a takeaway for all of us. That being our call to serve those who need our help. You see, we are to help the oppressed. We are to bring comfort to the morning and not stand idly by. It's not simply good enough to say, I see all of this going around, going on around me. I see those that need to be comforted. I see those that mourn. We, we are called to step in. We are, we are to share the good news to the lost. We are to fight for justice in the face of wickedness. We are to get out of our cars on Dunbar and 16th and help the woman getting mugged. We are. Which brings this message full circle. Could it be that to the suggestion that God isn't responding to the wickedness and injustice in our world come because his people who've been empowered by the spirit of God haven't carried out their God-given call to be salt and light? Maybe we're the answer to the question. Something to think about. So there you go, Dunbar. Dunbar Heights, whom I love. When we see verse 16, 
wickedness where there should be justice, then we need to fight honestly and by holding on to hope and seeing its purpose and not giving in or giving up, but fulfilling the role we've been given instead. Let me pray for you.